0: Accessing Agent Files Brian Sovereign Early 21st Century Anarchist Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government Helping us run an incredible time Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side? and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian.
1: The Libertine-in-Chief, here for you for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. That's right, the baddest boy on the blockchain, ready to go. And we've got a lot to talk about, a whole lot to talk about. But before I get into it, you know, I want to give a shout-out. I, I listen to all kinds of podcasts all the time. Uh, and, some you know, there's a lot of great liberty podcasts out there. Uh, I am certainly, <laughs> I mean, and the more the merrier, absolutely. And there's one that I actually, I want you to check out. And it's called Unity Evolved, okay. And you can go to unityevolved.com, dot com, and it's a pretty new one. I think they're only like like eleven episodes in, uh, but these guys are really delivering. Uh, I think a pretty unique perspective, and you know, they're, they're just—I mean, it's an overall conversation about you know anything liberty oriented. You know, but I, I think they're delivering some interesting stuff. So go ahead, check it out. Go to UnityEvolved dot com. Uh, I love it. They're they're big fans of the show, I know, and I really appreciate that. And uh, I I think that uh, that you know the more and I'll talk about this more during listener email during the important email segment of the show. Uh, but I think that you know media production in the liberty movement is one of the most important forms of activism out there. And I think you'll find out why a little later on in this episode. So do check that out, unityevolved.com. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what they've got going on over there. Uh, and of course, they use SoundCloud. So just like with Sovereign Tech, where you can comment right on the episodes, you can follow them on SoundCloud. You don't have to do any of that. Uh, it's it's Or, you, you know, you can do all, you don't have to use anything else. <laughs> uh, I love SoundCloud. I really, I'm just waiting. In fact, Twitter offered to buy it a little while back because really, I'm just waiting for this to become, it's already huge. But it may become the social media of the future. Uh, I think that's definitely on its way. Because when you consider it like YouTube, uh, YouTube is its own entire social media platform in and of itself. In fact, it may technically be the largest one. Just most people don't want to consider it social media. But it really is. And I think an all audio version of that uh, and really SoundCloud is the only one that could take that mantle, I think. Uh, or maybe tune in tune in is trying to get social. That's cool. I like tune in too. Uh, but anyway, but I think a lot of these audio sites are going to be really where, where all that goes, uh, where, where social media will start to migrate pretty heavily. Uh, and the big guys know that, you know, I mean, maybe Facebook is going to end up buying tune in at some point. I, I you heard it here first. <laughs> so anyway, check those guys out. Uh, they, they have a good time when they do their podcasts and I'm all about having a good time. Uh, let's uh let's get right into the rapid fire stories this one boy uh (laughs) there are so many in this week if you paid attention to tech news uh it's a miracle that frankly that you're still alive because it was so depressing uh this week and i'm i'm not going to go into a whole lot of depth with all of it in this episode, it's really going to have to wait another episode. There's so much information to take in and I don't want to fall prey. I do not want to become like a lot of these media outlets where they, you know, they're just doing scare tactics. And anytime they hear a story that sounds like, oh, there's an insecurity here, like with the iPhone thing and and, uh, and the fact that, that you could you know, easily get into into an iPhone with, you know, via pack sharing and all that stuff Uh, that ended up being way blown out of proportion. So many different things get way blown out of proportion. Uh, Even, you know, the original prism was blown way out of proportion. It wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't this catch all that uh, that the media like to portray it as still terrible. Okay. Uh, But I want to make sure that when you get the information that you know exactly, you know, perhaps a a plan of action coming out of it, or even if it's something worth being concerned about at all. Uh, So I will not be talking about bad USB in this episode yet, uh, but there is plenty of other stories to to go around. That, and the ones where I think I have something, you know, maybe work, you know, a plan or an answer to. I'll go ahead and discuss now. But uh so we have PayPal and eBay. Apparently, there is a very a uh, huge security flaw found with PayPal and eBay. Uh, I'm not going to go into depth about it. We'll talk about it, you know, in, in a future episode more. But. Essentially, if your accounts are linked between PayPal and eBay, there is a, a, a gateway to where someone could get access to all of your credit card information. And it's a pretty simple gateway and, and really a lot of your financial information, especially if you use uh, if you use PayPal heavily and how many people do. Uh, so that's that's something to look into. Uh, and it, as far as I know, there hasn't eBay hasn't come out with a response to that of how to solve it. But it was a very, very basic uh, uh, crack that that really got a, a very in fact i think the person who figured it out was in, was pretty young uh and it was just it was so simple that that a lot of people were shocked uh, at how easy it happened so something to keep your eye on um and but all right let's not okay no i'm gonna do it we'll go into another security one but this one i think has uh is kind of odd. This has an odd resolution, I, I feel. Um, and this was a story that really, you know, just got blasted all over the place. Uh, Russian hackers amass over a billion internet passwords. Okay. And uh, what the, there was a company called hold security and they claimed, and this is getting reported everywhere. They claimed that they were able to collect through various cracks and also various, um, you know, not, what some would say nefarious means, uh, like getting you know buying third party info and all that, were able to collect passwords on over a billion people. Now, the key here, okay, is you know, it, do these insecurities exist? Yeah, most likely. I don't think that's unheard of. That this, I, or I don't think that it's improbable that they could have achieved this. But the here's the weird part about this story is that they said, hold security said that the reason that they were collecting it. Was so that they could advertise better on Twitter. Now that doesn't make a whole that the numbers don't add up here, because if you're collecting on purpose the you know billions of passwords for billions of or for over a billion people, Twitter only has a few hundred million at best users. Uh, this is that would be extreme overkill to collect all of that. So it's still up to debate whether this is even true. But honestly, the story coming out as far like from hold security and from these, you know, from the people that enacted this and they were wanting to use it doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, there's there's just there's no logic there at all as as to why they would do that. So I don't know if if, the, if in reality they did this to to be a red flag. Um, I don't think I mean, listeners of this show should know we read that great article called Every, everything is broken about how the Internet and, you know, pretty much almost all software is just, you know, shit and replete uh, with with security holes, you know, zero days and whatever else. Uh, so I don't know that this should come off as so shocking to people anymore, knowing the nature of how all these things are created and done. Um, but the interesting point is not, is the point that people aren't making in the media is that the reasons they said they did this just don't make any sense. Like the, the numbers just don't add up. Uh, so of course as always change your password, you know, and, and I recommend using LastPass. password vaults are very, very handy things to have. Um, may, you know, maybe Steve Gibson will solve this with, uh, you know, with squirrel, uh, who knows, even though there's, there's certainly arguments, arguments to be made against squirrel, um. But, maybe you know, maybe that's the solution to come. Who knows? So I don't I don't think the real story with this, if this crack even happened, you know, in, in Russia withhold security. I don't even think that the that the stated purposes and all that, that that they're even accurate. So there's something else completely going on there. I honestly I don't know what that is. OK, but I don't think that story is that there's this huge security flaw and billions of people's passwords uh, have been discovered. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, but let's uh, let's move on. Let's get away from the security stuff for for a minute, because, God, I, I mean, you just you get to the point to where you don't want to. You don't want to use anything, you know, <laughs> it just drives you mad when you really have an understanding of all the stuff that goes on. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, getting to this is my kind of my pet subject, of course, is how Amazon is taking over the world in a very literal sense. Uh, this is amazing. Google is partnering with Barnes and Noble to offer a same day book delivery service. Now, this may come off because it's just a book delivery service. And so people would be like, well, so what? Who the hell reads you know, actual books now. Uh no, that's still a very popular thing to do, and I think it's great. Uh the, the interesting point here is that Google isn't buying out Barnes and Noble so much, which I, I kind of would have expected them to do that maybe. But the fact that they are allying themselves with a company that is so far in the hole, I think this shows on Google's part, this shows extreme desperation. Extreme desperation of the danger that Amazon poses to pretty much every big company out there. And I, you know, I talk about this. It seems like there's a new story almost every week about how Amazon is really invading every single part of your life. And I think now clearly I've been talking about this for, you know, shy of a year. Okay. Uh, I think the big companies, the big boys are starting to really realize it too. Cause they've got it all. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, plenty of of past episodes, I talk about it almost every episode. uh, You know, I kind of give you an update on what Amazon's doing so you can check those out. Uh, But I think this is this is a unbelievable fact that Google would partner with Barnes & Noble. Now, clearly, they wouldn't buy into their debt, but the fact that they would even want to align their name with a company that is really such a joke, uh, it just shows a lot of desperation I think. And obviously Barnes and Noble has plenty to gain from this, uh, but it's just it's Google that really has something to lose. And so that's why I feel like it, it's showing a lot of desperation from them on that. Uh, so same day book service. And I guess I don't know if they're just going to start hiring people that, you know, booksellers, because maybe there's nobody actually walking into the store to buy the books anymore, that they'll just take the, you know, their their cashiers and have them, you know, have them get in a Barnes and Noble car or a Google car. And yeah, we'll deliver your books to you or whatever. Uh, who knows? Uh, I mean, I think that's a fine service. I like the idea of the service. I just think it shows, uh, just how afraid some of these big companies are of, uh, of Amazon. And, uh, I would say rightfully so, um, getting back for a second to the security issues. I guess HP is really stepping up to the plate, uh, with what they call fortify, which is something that they've been developing for a while. It's a security, uh, platform for, you know, software and devices, that they've been working on and now they are specifically targeting 40 fortify at the internet of things. So, you know, all these, you know, the, the Phillips, the, the hue, the light bulbs, uh, all the, you know, nest and all this stuff, they are po- you know, poising HP is poising to be the security platform for all of that devices. And it's, it raises a really interesting point that I don't generally hear from anybody. When you talk about a lot of these, you know, home technologies, this home automation and all that is, you know, we've got so many holes, so many security holes. And so all these problems, and boy, we're talking about some of them now with Android and even though, you know, the one with iPhone, even though that was blown out of proportion that, hey, you know, if we automate our home, we could run into some real problems here with security. (laughs) Uh, In fact, in a future story, I want to talk about how, you know, home security systems are a joke and how they always have been. Uh fortunately, I don't have any advertisers that are in the business of home security. Uh, and so Fortify is trying to answer that. And I I'm glad that HP is trying to get ahead of the curve because the Internet of Things has not taken over yet. But it does seem to be the way things are getting pushed, whether you like it or not. And what I mean by that is, you know, look, in a couple of years, when you go to buy a refrigerator, you're probably not going to have the option to buy a refrigerator that doesn't have an Exynos chip in it. So, you know, you're going to you'll essentially be forced to buy like. Try, and yes, this occurs. Go buy a leaded car. Go buy a car that runs on leaded gas. Oh, wait, you can't. I'm not saying that that's a good you know, that that leaded you know gasoline's a good thing. I'm just saying you can't do it. So the market will force upon you what it wants at times. The market backed by government, of course. So. Yeah, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad HP is you know taking an interest in in making sure that these things are secure. Uh, Now back to one last story, and this one's pretty interesting. Then we're going to get into our main story of the week, and we'll just touch on this quickly. But apparently, T-Mobile, I know T-Mobile has the best on average has the best battery life. Their phones, you know, having a phone and having T-Mobile as your carrier, you get the best battery life by a long shot. In some cases, the battery life is double what you'd get if your phone is on any other carrier now there's a lot of a lot of questions to ask about this as in is this because nobody's using lte on t-mobile because t-mobile's 4g signals terrible you know it's barely even out there is it because t-mobile it barely has any reception well maybe not that because that would actually kill the battery more with a phone constantly trying to find a signal and bouncing off of various antennae uh but that's interesting. So if battery life is a concern and say you're more of a city dweller, which I know a lot of my uh, a lot of my listeners are, maybe you want to consider T-Mobile best better. Like literally there, there were times where the Galaxy S4 would do almost double whatever all the other companies would offer, like Sprint and Verizon and AT&T as far as battery life. That's impressive. That's important. Battery life's a huge deal to me. So I, I just I thought that was fascinating. And I never even thought to do a study like that. I'm glad somebody else did. Uh, I I really I hadn't even considered that. I mean, yeah, I know the carrier can be an issue with how many antennas it has. But that's but that again, that kind of speaks oddly about it because T-Mobile has far less. It's clearly the smallest carrier in the United States. And of course, this is the study was only done in the United States. Uh, So interesting stuff. But let's switch it up. Let's get into our main story. And uh, this is a really interesting concept here uh, that that I'm going to parlay to you. And then in the. (laughs) In Tech Roulette, we might just turn it totally on its head. But um, this is from uh, Medium, and it's by Kevin Kelly. You are not late. Late to what? (laughs) Can you imagine how awesome it would have been to be an entrepreneur in 1985 when almost any dot-com name you wanted was available? All words, short ones, cool ones. All you had to do was ask. It didn't even cost anything to claim. This grand opportunity was true for years. In 1994, a Wired writer noticed that McDonald's.com was still unclaimed. So with our encouragement, he registered it and then tried to give it to McDonald's. But their cluelessness about the Internet was so hilarious, it became a Wired story. Shortly before that... I noticed that ABC.com was not claimed, so when I gave a consulting presentation to the top floor ABC executives about the future of digital, I told them that they should get their smartest geek down in the basement to register their own domain name. And they didn't. The internet was a wide open frontier then. It was easy to be the first in Category X. Consumers had few expectations and the barriers were extremely low. Start a search engine, an online store, serve up amateur videos. Of course, that was then. Looking back, now it seems as if waves of settlers have since bulldozed and developed every possible venue, leaving only the most difficult and gnarly specs for today's newcomers. Thirty years later, the Internet feels saturated, bloated, overstuffed with apps, uh, platforms, devices, and even even more than enough content to demand our attention for the next million years. Even if you could manage to squeeze in another tiny innovation, who would notice it? Yet if we consider what we have gained online in the last 30 years... This abundance smells almost miraculous. We got instant connection with our friends and family anywhere, a customizable stream of news whenever we want it, zoomable 3D maps of most cities of the world, an encyclopedia we can query with spoken words, movies we can watch in a flat slab in our pocket, a virtual everything store that will deliver next day to name only six out of thousands that could be even mentioned. But, but, here is the thing. In terms of the internet, nothing has happened yet. The Internet is still at the beginning of its beginning. If we could climb into a time machine and journey 30 years into the future and from that vantage, look back to today, we'd realize that most of the greatest products running the lives of citizens in 2044 were not invented until after 2014. People in the future will look, will look at their holodecks and wearable virtual reality contact lenses and downloadable avatars and AI interfaces and say, oh, you didn't really have the Internet or whatever they, they'll call it back then. And they'd be right. Because from our perspective now, the greatest online things of the first half of the century are all before us. All these miraculous inventions are waiting for that crazy. No one told me it was impossible visionary to start grabbing the low hanging fruit, the equivalent of the dot com names of 1984. Because here is the other thing the graybeards in 2044 will tell you. Can you imagine how awesome it would have been to be an entrepreneur in 2014? It was a wide-open frontier. You could pick almost any Category X and add some AI to it, put it on the cloud. Few devices had more than one or two sensors in them, unlike the hundreds now. Expectations and barriers were low. It was easy to be the first, and then they would sigh, Oh, if only we realized how possible everything was back then. So the truth, right now, today, in 2014, is the best time to start something on the Internet. There has never been a better time in the whole of history of the world to invent something. There has never been a better time with more opportunities, more openings, lower barriers, higher benefit risk ratios, better returns, greater upside than now, right now, this minute. This is the time that folks in the future will look back and say, oh, to have been alive and well back then. The last 30 years has created a marvelous starting point, a solid platform to build truly great things. However, the coolest stuff has not been invented yet, although this new greatness will not be more of the same same that exists today. It will not be merely better. It will be different beyond and other. But you knew that what you may not have realized is that today truly is a wide open frontier. It is the best time ever in human history, to begin. You are not late. And I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, And I think that's an important point to bring to fore. You know, it's interesting. uh, Jeff Jarvis, who is a professor of journalism and a host, a co-host on This Week in Google, a really good show, and uh, he's, you know, by and large a great guy. He made the point, he wrote a Kindle single called gutenberg the geek and the whole book is really a parallel to the development of the printing press and the development of the internet and it's an accurate one Uh, i think it fits pretty well and in the last few paragraphs of that book it's a very short book and it's cheap it's a buck and you can uh you know you can read it inside of a night real easy and and I recommend it. And he says that we don't know how the Internet is going to affect the human condition in the future. And I've quoted him quite often, you know, in saying that we really don't know how the Internet is going to change uh, life. And because it's so early on, how long has it really been, you know, so ubiquitous, so common? And it's not even totally ubiquitous now, even though some people are trying to do that. How long? You know what? 2003? That's what I, I I think if you're like started at like 94, that, that first decade was really for, you know, the geeks. That's when the geeks were messing around with the Internet. And it didn't really take off, I think, until 2003. That's really the, the time frame that I give it. And that's where like ideas or not ideas. That's where implementations of things like cloud banking, all that stuff really started to, to definitely take hold and become the norm. Um, And so I think a lot of people, though, feel that, yeah, there isn't anywhere further to go. You know, the, the Internet is the Internet and it's doing what it's doing. And, you know, yeah, we get advertisements on Web pages. And it's ironic, actually, that this that this blog post, which I think is very important. And if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, which I'm trying to be, I as I mentioned in the special, it just came out. I started my own uh, game development company, uh, one person company. I shouldn't even call it a company, but uh, Zomia Offline Games. So that, you know, I mean, that blog post was incredibly, um, you know, it's inspiring for that. But, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people that, that feel, you know, what else can be done? You know, we figured it all out. And I'll be the first to tell you that most of the businesses, most of the startups starting today, you know, that are happening are crap. I mean, they're bullshit, the stuff that they're pushing. Like, oh, yeah, we got a new beer finder app for you. Really? <laughs> what? What, what are you changing about anything? How, how is it? Oh, anyway, so I think a lot of people feel and, and, and they feel and I feel like this way sometimes that when things get to that point to where that's what's being developed out of the space, that really it has come and gone. But that's not really true, uh, as I always say, you know, actually, someone asked me on Twitter, they asked me a great question. They said, if you had ten million dollars, wouldn't that be nice? Where would you invest? And I said, well, I would invest in myself. I'd invest in Madesafe, and I'd invest in the clo- in the nearest guy or gal in a garage with solder smoke coming out of it. And that's the thing is that the innovations that are really out there you haven't heard of and you haven't heard of them by and large, because they, probably a lot of people that may have heard of it don't understand it. Because it's so different. And the fact that it's just it is so drastically different that it's taking so much time to put it together. And, you know, maybe there's no story right now or or people just think that it's too wild and it would never take off. But it will. And so I think that this blog post brings a really good message. I mean, who would who would really who would have thought of made safe? I didn't think of made safe. Is that what the Internet's going to be? Even the article says, like, are they going to call it the Internet? Maybe we'll just call it Project Safe. Maybe we'll call it safe net, you know, whatever in the future, if made safe ends up, you know, being uh, everything that, that, it, that it will, you know, claims to be maybe there's always that new idea. You know, there's another thing I want to talk about in cyber tech at some point, it's called P cell. And if you hadn't heard, if you haven't heard of this, look into that because that's an area where, I mean, it's just an idea that you would never expect that just came out of nowhere. And so the point is, is that no, Please do not think that everything has already been figured out, okay? And that there's no, and that there's no, that the barriers to entry have been closed off. They haven't. There's something new to be thought of there. And, you know, I have a real problem with this. I mean, because I I think that in a lot of ways, and maybe I'll talk about this in another episode, I think in a lot of ways, we look in the wrong direction for things. In fact, maybe even, take this blog post to its conclusion, maybe the Internet itself might be even the wrong direction. Maybe electricity is the wrong direction. I'm not a Luddite. I'll be back with more.
0: Are you searching for your soulmate? Someone you can trust, who will never betray you, or cooperate with the NSA? Stop searching. With EasyDNS, you found a keeper. EasyDNS does it all. Domain names, web hosting, and managed WordPress hosting. EasyDNS stands up for your internet freedom. And with servers in Canada, they do not cooperate with the NSA. Go to EasyDNS.com. You'll love their services or get a full refund. They guarantee it. And they accept Bitcoin. That's EasyDNS.com. Hmm. Hello, mister.
1: Sovereign. sovereign. And yours?
0: Natalia, care to play a game of roulette? I'd love to. Number and color. 69. Black. As you wish. Tech Roulette. Ooh boy. Okay,
1: before, it is, of course, it is time for Tech Roulette, but before everybody starts emailing in and saying, Golden Stallion, how dare you say that electricity might not be the future? Relax. You don't understand what I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is that, like, and I've said this before on this show. There was a time before electricity was the, you know, was the the order of the day that people were looking into how to do similar things that electricity achieves, but using magnetism and magnetism alone. Okay, this is the whole point of like steampunk is that, you know, there's alternative ways of figuring things out. And so my point being, and like what I, I like how the blog post was saying things, of course, I was talking directly about the Internet, but I think it has wider implications, is that you're really at the beginning of everything. And I, I think you're kind of at the beginning of everything almost all the time. And there's, there's new ways to think about things. And you've got to, to really come up with those, to come up with disruptive technologies and disruptive ideas. You've got to think just way out there. Go all the way out. Okay, And so that's what I meant when I said, you know, maybe electricity isn't, you know, the most efficient way for technology to operate. How about that? There's a thought for you. Now, again, not a Luddite, folks. Relax. I'm doing a tech show. Okay. now uh, this is a story. This was sent in from a listener, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, And it's by Kate Murphy and it's from The New York Times. No time to think. One of the biggest complaints in modern society is being overscheduled, overcommitted and overextended. Ask people at a social gathering how they are. And the stock answer is, I know my listeners already know, (laughs) busy, right? Super busy, crazy busy or insanely busy. Nobody is just fine anymore. When people aren't super busy at work, they're crazy busy exercising, entertaining, or taking their kids to Chinese lessons. Or maybe they're insanely busy playing fantasy football, tracing their genealogy, or churning their own butter. And if there is isn't ever a still moment for reflective thought, say, while waiting in line at the grocery store or sitting in traffic, out comes the mobile device. So it's worth noting a study published last month in the journal uh, Science, which shows how far people will go to avoid... Introspection. Now, the link is in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. And of course, ways to get in touch with the show. If you have a story for Tech Roulette, you can find out all that information in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. We had noted how wedded to our devices we all seem to be and that people seem to find any excuse they can to keep busy, said Timothy Wilson, a psychology professor at the University of Virginia and lead author of the study. No one had done a simple study letting people go off on their own and think. The results surprised him and have created a stir in the psychology and neuroscience communities. In 11 experiments involving more than 700 people, the majority of participants reported that they found it unpleasant to be alone in a room with their with their thoughts for just six to 15 minutes. A person couldn't sit alone in a room for six minutes. Moreover, in one experiment, 64% of men and 15% of women began self-administering electric shocks when left alone to think. These same people, by the way, had previously said they would pay money to avoid receiving the painful jolt. It didn't matter if the subjects engaged in the contemplative uh, exercise at home or in the laboratory, or if they were given suggestions of what to think about, like a coming vacation. They just didn't like being in their own heads. It could be because human beings, when left alone, tend to dwell in what's wrong in their lives. We have evolved to become problem solvers and meaning makers. What preys on our minds when we aren't updating our Facebook page or in spinning class are things we haven't figured out. Difficult relationships, personal and professional failures, money trouble, health concerns, and so on. And until there is a resolution, or at least some kind of understanding or acceptance, these thoughts reverberate in our heads. Hello, rumination. Hello, insomnia. One explanation why people keep themselves so busy and would rather shock themselves is that they are trying to avoid that kind of negative stuff, said Ethan Cross, director of the Emotion uh, and Self-Control Laboratory at the University of Michigan. It doesn't feel good if you're not intrinsically good at reflecting. The comedian Louis C.K. has a riff that's been watched nearly eight million times on YouTube in which he describes the not good feeling. Sometimes when things clear away and you're not watching anything and you're in your car and you start going, oh, no, here it comes that I'm alone and it starts to visit on you. Just the sadness, he said. And that's why we text and drive. People are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. But you can't solve or let go of problems if you don't allow yourself time to think about them. It's an imperative ignored by our culture, which values doing more than thinking. And believes answers are in the palm of your hand rather than in your head. Ooh. It's like we're all in this addictive family where all this busyness seems normal when it's really harmful, said Stephanie Brown, a psychologist in Silicon Valley and the author of Speed, facing our addiction to fast and faster and overcoming our fear of slowing down. There's this widespread belief that thinking and feeling will only slow you down and get in your way. But it's the opposite. Suppressing negative feelings only gives them more power, she said, leading to intrusive thoughts, which makes people get even busier to keep them at bay. The constant cognitive strain of evading emotions underlies a range of psychological troubles such as obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, depression and panic attacks, not to mention a range of addictions. It is also associated with various uh, somatic problems like eczema, irritable bowel syndrome, asthma, inflammation, impaired immunity, and headaches. Studies further suggest that not giving yourself time to reflect impairs your ability to empathize with others. And oh man, Golden Stallion here telling you, if there's nothing more important in this world than empathy, and there isn't, ooh, The more in touch with my own feelings and experiences, the richer and more accurate are my guesses of what passes through another person's mind, said Giancarlo DiMaggio, a psychiatrist with the Center for Metacognitive Interpersonal Therapy in Rome, who studies the interplay of self-reflection and empathy. Feeling what you feel is an ability that atrophies if you don't use it. So feeling what you feel is an ability that atrophies. Researchers have also found that an idle mind is a crucible of creativity. A number of studies have shown that people tend to come up with more novel uses for objects if they are first given an easy task that allows their minds to wander rather than a more demanding one. Idle mental processing encourages creativity and solutions uh, because imagining your problem when you can't, when you aren't in it is not the same as reality, said Jonathan Smallwood, a cognitive neuroscientist at the University of York in England. Using your imagination means you are, in fact, rethinking the problem in a novel way. Perhaps that's why Google offers its employees courses called Search Inside Yourself and Neural Self Hacking, which include instruction on mindfulness meditation, where the goal is to recognize and accept inner thoughts and feelings rather than ignore or repress them. It's in the company's interest because it frees up employees, otherwise embattled, uh, embattled brain space to uh, intuit end users' desires and create products to satisfy them. I have a lot of people who come in and want to learn meditation to shut out thoughts that come up in those quiet moments, said Sarah Grismer. She's a psychologist in Austin, Texas, who incorporates mindfulness meditation into her practice. But allowing and tolerating the drifting in of thoughts is part of the process. Her patients, mostly hard-charging professionals, report being more productive at work and more energetic and engaged parents after, you know, going through the mindfulness. To get rid of the emotional static, experts advise not using first-person pronouns when thinking about troubling events in your life. Instead, use third-person pronouns or your own name when thinking about yourself. If a friend comes to you with a problem, it's easy to coach them through it. But if the problem is happening to us, we have a real difficulty, in part— because we have all these egocentric biases making it hard to reason rationally, said Dr. Cross of Michigan. The data clearly shows that you can use language to almost trick yourself into thinking your problems are happening to someone else. Hard as they sometimes are, negative feelings are a part of everyone's life. Arguably more if you are more so if you are crazy busy. But it's those same deep and troubling feelings and how you deal with them that make you the person you are. While busyness may stanch welling sadness, it may also limit your ability to be overcome with joy. Ooh, boy. <laughs> I'm reminded of the quote, and I've quoted it on Sovereign Tech in the past. I'm reminded of the quote from Leo Laporte, where he said that people are keep staring at these screens so that they don't get reminded that one day they're going to die. And, of course, part of the meaning behind that is the fact that, you know, like what you post on Facebook, I think in most people's minds is going to be there forever. You know, yes, it could be deleted, but it's going to, you know, it's up there and it's always there and it's there when you need it. And so to them, it's a it's a grasp at immortality. And that's one issue, but I think there is a whole other issue to really discuss here. Uh, And that is that, you know, do we have time to think Now, it becomes a a problem because a lot of there's a narrative in society, I think, you know, and is technology enabling this? This is why we're talking about this on a tech show. okay? but there is there's a lot of people I know in the 90s who I mean, and this was taught to me that it's people who really have the time to think in their own mind that end up committing suicide. It's people with a lot of free time. You hear about a lot of wealthy people who commit suicide or a lot of people that seem to just have the whole world. You know, they've got it all. And yet somehow they end their life. And why did they do that? Well, it's because they weren't busy enough. It's because they had the time to sit down and think. And maybe humans shouldn't have to, you know, necessarily go and sit down and think. Now, that's nonsense. OK, <laughs> uh, there is no. There really is no there's virtue in doing what you say you're going to do. I don't think there's any virtue in, uh, you know, in, in working hard, not an inherent one anyway. So having the time to actually think, I think, is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to do that. What happens is is that I think a lot of people do get inside their heads those people unfortunately that have and, it, and they are absolute tragedies make no mistake those people that, that with affluence or whatever the case may be maybe it's teenagers who you know don't have to work at the time you know they're 14 years old and they do get to think in their heads and I think what they figure out is the world's really fucked up and that society's really insane and that religions are full of contradictions And that nothing makes any sense. And they just get into a fit of depression. Because everybody, you know, and because what happens if they try to discuss this with people? You know, I mean, what happens when you say to a person? Yeah, you know, I was thinking the other day. Do they really want to hear what you think? And if it's something that's like so far out, what's going to happen? You know, something like, you know, I was thinking the other day. Yeah, marriage. That's that's a bad idea. What are people going to say to you? You're nuts. Get out of your own head. Yeah, it's a phrase that people tell you. Get out of your own head. Yeah, stop brooding. You know, boy, that's uh, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the the Duchess of Debauchery, (laughs) said to me, (laughs) just, just said to me, stop brooding. And that's ironic for me because I have been accused most of my life of brooding, that I brood all the time. And uh, and and I actually I remember I remember talking to Stephanie about this and saying, it's like, do I brood? Is that a bad thing? Yeah, my. my (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I actually I had a lawyer say to me, Brian, you brood too much. You know, you're brooding. Stop it. You can't. In fact, in fact, they even said to go in front of, a you know, in front of um, I, I had to appear in court. This had to do with my divorce. And they said, you know, don't brood when you go in there. That's how much I brood, I guess. Okay? But I don't think it's a bad thing. The fact that I that I spend a shit ton of time in my own head, I think it's a very good thing. So, it's ironic. I mean, because brooding is really like it's a pejorative term. Picture this. Picture this. Society is telling you stop thinking. Now, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, Alan Watts thing about, you know, acting without thinking and all that stuff. That's a completely different conversation that I am very open to and may talk about in the future. Not going into that. I'm talking about really thinking and thinking things through and looking into yourself. Introspection, real introspection. This is important. And I think people should take a look at them. I mean, you know, what? honestly, full judgment here. If a person can't sit in a room for 15 minutes and they start feeling uncomfortable that they're alone. Something's up. Something is up. And I don't think it's addiction to Facebook. I think it's fear of one's self. We talk, I mean, this is, you know, there, there was other reports uh, that they came out recently where, uh, Various psychologists were saying that, you know, you're addicted to Facebook if you check it uh, once every hour and all of this. And, uh, you know, I don't I question whether or not it's necessarily an addiction, because I think that using Facebook isn't even like I don't think it feels very natural. I don't think it's a very natural act. I think it just keeps everybody from thinking about. Just how crazy everything is, not just how crazy everything is outside of you, but just how crazy everything is in your, you know, in your own life and what's happened to you and perhaps even in your own thought processes. OK, this is no different than. And look, because and so maybe Facebook is an addiction because is alcoholism an addiction, because I think that a lot of people start drinking and start doing various other kinds of, of drugs because they're terrified to think about themselves. They're terrified at what they're going to find inside. And then they're terrified to find out that, you know, I mean, may, maybe they've been living in contradiction themselves and maybe everything's a contradiction. I mean, just picture, you know, it's kind of like when people make arguments against, um, against anarchy and it, it can often come from people that have very serious medical conditions and are relying upon the state to pay for that medical condition. It makes, it makes total sense that, A person would be very scared of the idea of no government in that case. You know, I I get that. Okay, But I mean, this is this is I think this is similar to where people are like, wait a minute, I'd have to I'd have to be responsible for, for my own actions and my own thoughts and my own, you know, all of this. Maybe technology, maybe the interconnectedness that the Internet offers, and this is why I said this would be turning things on its head from the first segment, but we explore multiple ideas. You have to explore multiple ideas. You have to try and falsify your own claims. Otherwise, you're not critically thinking, right? I think that perhaps the Internet is giving us the opportunity to see that we're just all crazy and that that can be a status quo. Not that we all are, but that many are. It's misery loves company. Maybe that's the deal. I've talked many times. I don't think that, that the, the interconnectivity that we have, the, the instantaneous interconnectivity, all of that is uh, something that humans are, have evolved to handle. With so many people, yes, I think you can, you know, phones took off very well because people and of course, yes, there were people that complained about phones. They called it the talkies, right? Uh, Phone, you know, phones handled themselves very well or it grew decently because, I mean, it was just it was interpersonal communication one on one, you know, that that made total sense. And there was not a huge leap for people to do that. But I think it is becoming a huge leap and people are finding that their lives are falling apart because they are connected to 20 social networks. They're answering every single goddamn one. All the time. And when, when, when do you ever spend any time on you? Be it for, you know, introspection or be it for just your own personal well-being and your own personal enjoyment. People are not. They're not thinking, but also they're not living. You know, I i may have said things in the contrary in the past on this show, and I'm sorry, You know, I always tell you when I'm wrong, I'll I'll say I'm wrong and maybe I'm wrong. But people look, posting shit online ain't living. I mean, there's, it seems like that's what's happening. People are living their entire lives, and every conversation is about something that happened online. Everything's online, line, 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 line. And the, look, it's not. I'm not saying it's evil or it's wrong or it's bad or whatever. But it's becoming the concentrated. It's becoming the focal point of people's lives, and they don't know. Seriously, I know a lot of people say this, but come on, is it not fucked up that you don't know your, your neighbor's name? No, okay, no. It doesn't have to be any of your business, but isn't that kind of crazy that there's another human being 20 feet from you and you don't know who the hell they are? Every single day of your life. How are you possibly going to create a society of understanding when you haven't when, when you're not even in the present? You're not even here. You're getting digiphrenia. Like Doug, uh, Douglas Rushkoff talks about in President Shock. I think he takes it a little extreme, but you're getting digifrenia where you have and really you do. It creates I think it almost creates multiple personalities because and one personality. Well, I can only say it in 140 characters, so I better say it quick. On the other one, you can be really, you know, you, you can extrapolate a lot and you can talk about it a lot. And, and it's like it's like you're different people. And there's no and, and then you try and talk to a human being. And guess what? I think you have a little problem when you start talking to them or you get nervous. I had a cousin. Anecdotal. I'm giving you some anecdotal stuff. I usually don't like to do that, but here you go. Anecdotal. I had a cousin who totally grew up in the computer revolution, uh, knew nothing but the internet, and met women only through the internet. I actually bought this cousin a fleshlight because he had such a hard time getting with women. Okay, And he... You know, any other human being, not just women, any other human being came around and he got the shakes! That's Is is causation, you know, correlation, causation? Maybe not. But I wonder. All of these things, these, you know, all the screens in our face, all the social networks, all this stuff, it was never meant to replace our lives. It was just meant to enhance them a bit. It was meant to make the connections that we have and that we build in meat space in the analog world. It's meant to enhance those relationships. Maybe that's not what they are designed for, but maybe that's what they should be. Think about that. What exactly are we building with our interconnected world? I want you to question it. I'm giving you possibilities of what could be getting built. Too many people are just so busy going on Android police, and hey, I do it too, and saying, oh, what's the latest thing coming out with Android L? Woo-hoo! Remember the old Jurassic Park line from Jeff Goldblum? They were so busy thinking if they could, they never stopped to think if they should. And I wonder how many tech journalists are going to tell you this? Not many, it's their lifeblood. But I think we need to talk about it. I need I think we need to stop and say, wait the fuck a minute, because there hasn't been enough uh, fiction out there. And this is all so new. Like we were talking about, it's still early. The the Internet's in its beginning of its beginning. Yes, it's only been around in its current implementation. Barely 20 years. That is not in the grand scheme of life and evolution. That is that's not even a a nanosecond. That's smaller than a nanosecond for us to consider what is normal and possible. And we need to maybe take a. You know, take two steps back and say, hey, what could go wrong? If you have thoughts on that, of course, you can email me, SovereignTech at net. And again, take it easy. I'm not a Luddite. <laughs> this is Brian Sovereign, I'll be back with more.
0: There's a lot of confusing information out there about Bitcoin mining. Customers have been burned by companies taking their money on pre-orders for Bitcoin mining equipment, only to receive their equipment late and miss out on opportunities to mine Bitcoins. But that doesn't mean Bitcoin mining is impossible. You just have to find an honest company to do business with. If you want to mine Bitcoins and you want to do it now, no pre-orders, no waiting. Look into the AntMiner products from Bitmain. Their competitively priced ant Miners are in stock and shipped from the U.S. as soon as you pay. You could buy an AntMiner today and be mining Bitcoins tomorrow. The AntMiner line offers the best mining power per dollar currently available. 20% of the mining power in the Bitcoin network is contributed by AntMiner's. Not only that, but Bitmain is committed to support. You can get tech support and warranty service over the phone by calling 844-Bitmain. For commercial accounts, they'll even travel to your data center to install your equipment. Get all the details at bitmaintech.com. That's bitmaintech.com. You're a lucky man, Mr. Sovereign. Not many win so well at a game of chance.
1: That's because it's not a game of chance, Natalia. It's a game of choice.
0: (laughs) Game of choice.
1: It is time for Game of Choice, and we will calm down. (laughs) Um... Game of choice, of course, is where I talk about a game that you know maybe went by the wayside, maybe needs a good reinstall, maybe got skipped because of all of the the mass of AAA titles that come out now. Um, but actually, you know, and I, I did I mentioned this earlier. I had a, um, I did a special that a lot of people seem to really enjoy. Uh, I did I just released a special yesterday as of the recording of this episode, uh, which was about '90s video games. '90s video games, the top eight special that I enjoy doing, and everybody else seems to enjoy again. Uh, that. You know, maybe I didn't hear of, but that were really instrumental to great video games being made. Uh, and this is a series that the game of choice for this week, I'm going to kind of add on to that just a little bit, because this was a series that really, in my opinion, perfected the fact that you could with video games and especially with a series of games, you could create an overarching story. You could create a literal novel experience as in like a novel, like a book OK, uh, you you could really pull that off and that you could do tremendous storytelling, lots of twists and turns, and you could really engage a player into the game to where they feel like they're a part of the story and you could have a lot. I mean, it was just it's really it was something, especially for its time, because the very first uh, game in the series came out in 1996. So this is really early on for a game of, of this scope, of this magnitude uh, to, to really pull this off. And the series is Legacy of Cain. Uh, a lot of people actually never played the first game in the series. Of course, that was blood omen. Um, and that came out in 96 for uh, PS one. Uh, but most people do remember soul reaver. Okay. Soul reaver was the sequel to, uh, to blood omen. And then of course there was soul reaver two. Uh, then there was um, defiance. And I, I think it ended up being, you know, in total some odd four or five games. Oh yeah. Cause right. There was a uh, blood omen two as well. Um, So you end up with like five games and just this huge time traveling story about vampires of all things. And this is long before, uh, (laughs) long before Twilight. Uh, You know, it it, I mean, you were just it was really, really deep. Uh, More so, I think, than any anything Final Fantasy ever tried. Uh, The story was incredible. And you do. You kind of have to play them all. The only one you can't get, you can get all these games on Steam. Uh, The only one you can't get is the original Blood Omen. And that's a shame because there's a lot in Blood Omen that you see, uh, you know, you see lead ons to in, in later games, like even in Soul Reaver, Soul Reaver two, uh, and of course, Blood Omen two and, and defiance uh, all the, there's just lots of hints all over the place. And it's this really like far out where, you know, very chicken and egg kind of time travel. Like, you know, you were, you were meant to do this the whole time. What's the decision to make? And there's a bunch of different alternate endings. So there's a ton of replayability and uh, the, the presentation, the overall presentation in the in these games and Crystal Dynamics made them, I mean, it was just top drawer. Uh, the music, in fact, everybody, I think almost everybody remembers the intro, especially to Soul Reaver. Uh, and these are all third person action games like Tomb Raider type. Uh, and of course, they came out from IDOS, which Eidos Interactive was the original Tomb Raider develops developers. Um, and like everybody remembers the opening line to Soul Reaver, it's like, Cain is deified, you know, I mean, it's, it's this really deep voice from the character Raziel, who's the star of Soul Reaver. Uh, it, it's really something. And, and again, it had a, especially at that time, it had a cool dynamic where Raziel in the game Soul Reaver, which is kind of the premier game for the, for the whole series, uh, you know, he, because he's undead, but there's points where, you know, you would, you would end up in the, the spirit realm and then you'd end up back in the corporeal realm. Uh, and it, it was, it was a really cool mechanic at the time and again the storyline is just it's it's kind of unmatched in fact the only thing that really covers that that grand of a storyline in my opinion uh would be babylon 5 and that's not even a game so if you haven't check out the legacy of Kane games in fact i think you can get them on humble bundle and you know what that means that means you could buy these things with bitcoin why wouldn't you (laughs) So, uh, a fantastic series. All the games are, are really, really good. And you do you want to play them in order to totally understand the very overarching story. But I guarantee you it's worth it. Uh, check it out. Legacy of Kain. Start with Soul Reaver. That's the one you can get your hands on. I'll be
2: back with more.
0: Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul.
2: Most men who take erection drugs use them because they're having trouble getting erections. But there's a small subset of men who take these drugs even though they have no trouble getting hard or staying hard. Well, aside from curiosity, why would a young guy with a perfectly healthy erection take a drug like Viagra? Well, while these drugs are unlikely to improve the erection of a healthy young man, some men find that they decrease the amount of time it takes to get a subsequent erection. Also, men who take party drugs like ecstasy, cocaine, poppers, or speed often have trouble getting it up, so they take erection drugs to help assure an erection when they're high. Now, this is not a pharmaceutically sound practice, and it can theoretically kill you. And with young men who are taking erection drugs but not combining them with other pharmaceuticals, there is concern among researchers that they're possibly becoming psychologically dependent on the erection drugs. In other words, young guys who had no trouble getting it up before they started taking erection drugs are becoming less confident in their ability to get hard the longer they use boner drugs. This is certainly something to consider if you have no trouble getting erections now, but think you'll become a better lover by giving yourself pharmacologically induced erections. Also, if you're getting erection drugs from friends or the internet, be careful. Chances are good they're counterfeit.
0: For more, visit 90SecondsOnSex.com You are quite the man, Mr. Sovereign. Are you busy tonight? Natalia, if you'll excuse me, I uh, just
1: received a very important email.
0: Later then, Mr. Sovereign. Important Email
1: it is time for Important Email, where I cover the emails that get sent to me through uh, the email, of course, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net, uh, which, boy, recently, RiseUp, they totally redid uh, their email interface and, and a lot of a lot of the various services they offer. Man, are they doing great work. I mean, they are doing great work. Whenever I can, I always try and send them uh, a little bit of Bitcoin myself uh, because it, they offer all this for free to activists. OK, and but just because it's free doesn't mean, hey, I'll just keep using it. I, I think a person should really, when someone's offering great services like RiseUp does that donations are in order. Okay. Especially if you're going to go and, and pay for like a, say like a VPN service. Anyway, that's something else I want to bring up. Okay. Uh, there is a VPN company out there that I did get a listener email again about someone asking me about a VPN service, particularly for Chromebooks. Now I don't know other than RiseUp, I don't know a good VPN for Chromebooks, but if you are not using a Chromebook, The one I recommend, and I'll recommend it forever, (laughs) is ProXPN, okay? You can go to ProXPN.com. There's a promo code. They are supporters of liberty. These guys are as liberty-minded as it gets, okay? And, I mean, and that's, like I say, don't follow the money, follow the attitude. And these guys have all the attitude you could want, all right? So if you're looking for a great VPN, or if you've got one already right now, please just dump them. Go to ProXPN. These guys are the best. All right. And they they are supporters of Free Talk Live, which means that, frankly, they're supporters of Sovereign Tech. They're supporters of the Liberty Movement. They're supporters of LRN.FM, which we syndicate on. Uh, They're supporters of, you know, all kinds of things. They're supporters of me. And there's a code. You can use the code FTL50. okay, and you'll get a percentage off the lifetime of the account. And then there is uh, the code FTLBTC, which will get you even a, a even more percentage off, like 60% off. It's crazy if you use Bitcoin and you use the code FT, FTLBTC. So please, this is a company that's doing it right. If you are looking for a VPN, if you need convincing about using a VPN, that shouldn't be hard to convince you with all the security issues we talked about earlier. You want this, okay? And they are the people to go through. Please check out ProXPN. Even if you're already using somebody else, tell them, sorry, I'm canning. You don't have to do that. I'm not ordering you. I'm just saying this is really the way to go. These guys are amazing. And they I, there's a lot of stuff I can't say that they're going to be coming out with. That's all I'm saying. Moving on Um, with with that. Let's see. I got a question. <laughs> so, yeah. How did I get there? All right. I was talking about Rise Up. Of course, you can get in touch with me through Twitter. Uh, some people have been asking questions through Twitter recently, which I really appreciate. Um and also, you know, you can ask me on SoundCloud. There's there's a lot of ways in the show notes at sovereigntech.com for you to get in touch with the show. If you have a question for me and I, I have plenty of questions to still get through. OK, I only spend 10, 15 minutes per episode on them. Maybe I'll expand the show, uh, which a lot of people have said, hey, go longer, man. Talk all day. <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk all day, but we'll consider maybe making the show a little longer. I don't know. Um, but uh, anyway, I got I got a, asked a question. I got a, I did get an email. Uh, about Planet of the Apes, because last week I had reviewed Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was just fantastic. Um, and in that, and I mentioned at that, that I said, then there, there was originally, there was the 2001 remake of Planet of the Apes. Okay. Now that remake by Tim Burton, uh, some people love it. Some people hate it, but a lot of people just walked away completely, conflustered completely confused, completely confucked, because they're like, "What is this ending?" And if you don't know what the ending is, and you and you and you want to watch it first, press stop right now. Spoiler alert. Okay, but come on, the movie's fourteen years, you know, thirteen years old. Uh, Planet of the Apes. The ending of it is the character that uh, that Mark Wahlberg plays uh, in the movie, Captain uh, Leo Davidson, lands on Earth. At what appears to be the right time. He lands in Washington, D.C. And he like he lands in the reflection pool uh, by the Washington Monument there and or the reflecting pool. And he he gets out of his, uh, you know, his little pod, his little ship that went through just went through uh, the the wormhole. What you know what he perceives as a wormhole that took him to the planet of the apes. And he gets out and he sees. um you know, he, he sees the the Lincoln Memorial, and as he's looking up and the camera pans up with him, he looks up and he sees the face. You know, he sees Abraham Lincoln, but wait a minute, there's something wrong. Lincoln has an ape face, and it seems like it's dedicated to General Thade, who is the main uh, ape villain in this movie. And so everybody wonder how the hell did that happen? and I had mentioned that I would, if someone asked, I would tell you, you know, what, how apparently this occurred. And the answer comes from in 2001, if you bought the DVD edition of Planet of the Apes, so the reboot of Planet of the Apes in 2001, it came with an insert. It came with a CD-ROM that had some screensavers and wallpapers on it too, and some interviews, but it also came with an insert, and on that insert, it shows you this, it shows you this elliptical uh, a couple of a couple of circles, OK, a couple of ellipses and what it says at the bottom of that of that picture, at the bottom of that insert, it says, did General Thade get into the other pod? And go back in time to like what would, one would assume is a civil war and have the apes take over on Earth, because in Planet of the Apes, the the movie that the, or in Planet of the Apes, the 2001 Planet of the Apes, the 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 evolved apes are on a whole other planet. And of course you find out of that about that because, and that was actually time travel in itself because the one ape that they sent through CMOS that Mark Wahlberg or Leo Davidson takes his ship from when he finally arrives and goes, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just, it's this time travel, you know, total paradox loop, uh, messy thing. But the, essentially the answer is, is that Thade the original ship that Mark Wahlberg's character arrives in. Okay. Is in an ocean. But Thade found it, and you know he found it because he found the gun out of it, okay. And so Thade somehow repaired that ship, and or yeah, anyway, <laughs> Thade repaired that ship and then flew that into that same wormhole and ended up during the Civil War time and conquered the Earth with uh, with you know with with the Apes. Like he he probably landed in Africa. Where, you know, there's large gorilla populations and all of that and just kind of help them evolve. And so that's how the ending happened is that they took that other pod. okay, um, And and went through the same wormhole or time hole, whatever you want to call it, that uh, Mark Wahlberg's character did. OK, so there, there's the answer to that. You're, you're wondering about that. And that's about as official as an answer as you can get, because, again, it was released with the DVD, even though it was just a little cardboard insert. Uh, it was interesting. And you can find pictures of that online of that cardboard insert. Um, let's see. I want to we got a little correction from a, uh, from the episode where I talked about Ethereum uh, a couple weeks ago. And this is from a listener. It says, I've uh, been listening since the first episode. Enjoy it very much. Thank you. I'm amazed at the listeners that have been listening since episode one, because I'm crazy. And, and if, you can, if you're still listening, you know, to some of the wacky ideas that I espouse, uh, I, I love you. Uh, a few episodes ago, you mentioned investors don't invest when they don't know the valuation of the company. That's not exactly true. Convertible notes are a popular financing instrument. And he's absolutely right. Uh, convertible notes are something that is uh, decently popular. However, there is there is kind of a now convertible bonds or they'll call them convertible bonds as well. The, the reason those are popular is because they cut through the red tape really fast. OK, so I in, is my understanding of convertible bonds. And I don't generally mess with them either, but there is a there is a real understanding of what exactly is going to take take shape anyway. Uh, even though you don't know the total valuation, but you have like kind of an idea and you have some guarantees of, on delivery um, of what that is. And, and I think you when you generally when you when you invest in a deal where there are convertible bonds or, uh, or convertible notes involved, you you have a lot more assurances than Ethereum ever gave anybody uh, is my opinion on that. But listener, you are absolutely right. And I definitely stand corrected is that there certainly are uh, that is, and, and convertible notes is a popular thing today, no doubt. Uh, and, and so thank you very much for you know for for emailing in and, and talking about that I, I I know people say this but seriously I have an incredibly intelligent audience i I get emails I wish I had the time to respond to everyone like personally because I would love to build relationships uh, with with a lot of the listeners that just have these tremendous uh, thought processes that that I really enjoy and are clearly very intelligent like this emailer So thank you for that. Uh, You're absolutely right. Very popular instrument. But I think it's a popular instrument only because of the amount of red tape that you normally have to go through and the fact that convertible notes cut right through that. Uh, So that that's that's my thoughts on on that one. Um, Now, let's see. We will move on. And this is something. uh, This was an email that uh, that boy. (laughs) Just shy of tears reading uh, the, this, this email from a listener and it, and it meant a whole lot to me uh, to, to hear this. And I mentioned earlier in this show, I said that um, doing podcasts, doing media production, especially for the Liberty message is so important and it really does change things. And I have the proof right here. Um, I'm not going to, this was a long email and the emailer had some great recommendations on some software, which I am going to have be software of the week. Um, And I will leave the emailer unnamed, though I I do believe this emailer has actually called into Free Talk Live before, if I'm not mistaken. So I can say that much. Um, And I'll I'll read on here. Uh, A few different topics that I think you might find interesting, and we will definitely go over those in the future. Uh, But they really should be considered separate emails. So thank you for the understanding on that. First of all, I want to thank you for your show. I am a FSP signer, of course, FSP being the Free State Project. And have always been a mainstream big L libertarian with a big O objectivist streak. Now, for those that don't know what those terms mean, uh, big L, I think at least what these mean to me, uh, big L means that, you know, you are libertarian, is in libertarian party and you're all about getting into politics. You're you think voting helps. You think all these different things, you know, kind of help and and. You know, and you believe in government still and with a big O objectivist streak. Now, the the big O objectivist objectivism, of course, is the the philosophy that was popularized, uh, popularized by by Ayn Rand. And really, she created it more or less, uh, even though (laughs) I think even she would admit that since existence exists, objectivity always existed. Right. Uh, And so the big O objectivist also means that you are a what is known as a minarchist where you believe that politics uh, or that government is necessary. Okay, so those are those terms. And uh, the, the emailer goes on, your show, Sovereign Tech, more than anything else, has helped me to make the semi-recent philosophical shift to anarchy. I could just stop right there. And that means so much to me alone. And I like the fact that it helped you make, you made the philosophical shift to anarchy and emailer. Yes, you did. I am happy to be along for the ride and to somehow inform you somewhat in the process, but I am. So you clearly have made the shift because you recognize that it was you that made it good for you. And, uh, I actually, I've, I've, I've gotten, uh, you know, I I know some people in, in other ventures that, uh, um, that I take part in sex and science hour and whichever, where uh, the, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I have, you know, have been told that we have converted people to anarchy or you know, that the people have come to anarchy because, uh, you know, listening to our shows and, you know, they got there. Of course, all credit goes to them. Um, and that's, that's really great. So I'm happy to hear that, but I'll, I'll go on here. Additionally, your story along with my own deployment experience has motivated, motivated me to leave the Naval Reserves. And of course uh, my story, I'm I'm sure he's, he's referencing my, my military experience, which I I talked, I I talk about often, but I I definitely went into more depth a few episodes back. Your unique way of conveying your ideals has had a profound impact on my life. And for that, I cannot express enough gratitude. Uh, Thank you. emailer. That's I'm, I'm honored uh, to, to, uh, To have anyway helped helped you on your path. All credit goes to you and you deserve a lot of credit. And I wish that I could somehow have a microphone for just a moment to have in front of every Sovereign Tech listener who I think should be clapping for you. For deciding to leave the Naval, to leave the Navy, Naval Reserves, Navy, whatever, to leave the military. You deserve a huge round of applause I am honored to have known you. Thank you very much. I know it's a tough decision to do that. It was a tough decision for me to do that. It was mm-hmm. probably the toughest decision I ever faced. But that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of a lot of mental fortitude to say I'm not going to do this anymore, especially in a society that treats military service people as the heroes of the planet, you know, to walk away from, from the, from that, that, that level of perceived respect and, and adulation, whatever else that, that, I mean, that, that takes someone with some serious fortitude and you are that, that is, that is amazing. And this is the importance of, of Liberty Media is that we can reach out to people and, you know, maybe get them to, you know, think about things. They're the ones that cross the line. They're the ones that, that walk the path. They're the ones that do the the heavy load lifting, like leaving the military. But podcasters, you can help with that fact. And this is, this is very interesting. Because so many people in anarchist circles, in liberty circles, whatever, think that the way to solve all this is that at some point they're going to come for our guns and we got to be ready to take them on. We got to have our own bullets ready to go. I got a better idea. How about education? And then people will put their guns down and walk away from the institutions that are trying to control us like this incredible emailer did. How about that? Nobody hurt. I'm beyond impressed by this. This is this just, this is amazing to, to see, to see someone just say, yeah, that's enough. I'm done. If any other, any of my other listeners are in the military in whatever form, reserves, active duty, take your pick. Uh, I hope this inspires you. It is a very tough thing. If you are listening and you have a question about this, okay, what is my advice to you? My advice is, I think, in fact, it may be the same advice I gave this emailer, if I think this is who I think it is, is that there will come a time When the orders that come down to you will conflict with your principles. And if you have a gateway where say, you know, you're, you're going to have to re up in like six months or something, go ahead and wait out that six months and then you can get out. Do not think that, well, yeah, but if I just stay in another four years, I'll get this great deal. I mean, it's up to you, but believe me, that is far too long a time to where what's going to happen is, is that I think, and I, and, and I feel like I, I have a pretty good grasp of my listeners. You're going to act on your principles and you're going to tell your CO, no, I won't do that. And it is a very hard process, hazing and whatever else, to get out when it's not your time. You know, when it's not, when it's not con- convenient, we'll say, for the paperwork. It is an ugly process. You can get out. You can get out whenever you want to. Believe me, they they try and make you think that you can't. But no, the books say you get out whenever. You, and honestly. A decent CO and decent as in for what he is, not that he's actually decent, a decent CO won't want you to be a part of that army. Or that Navy or the Air Force, because you don't want to be there. That makes you a liability. But the paperwork's a pain in the ass. And so they, they try and trick you into staying there. You don't have to. you could leave. But if you've got an opportunity coming up, just hold out and then leave then. No judgment for me on that one. I understand. All too well. But emailer, thank you very much for for what you did. Thank you for your service, and what I mean by your service, thank you for leaving the service. You are an incredibly honorable human being for recognizing the beast for what it is. This is Sovereign Tech. Everybody, seriously, give this person a round of applause. And you can send me emails of thank you and what you'd like to say to him because he deserves it. I'll be back with more.
0: Hey, everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer, but did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business, I narrate explainer videos pretty much any audio project that you can think of, I'm probably willing to work on it or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info. smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech.
1: Sovereign, go to this webpage and follow
0: what kind of web page is this?
1: Is that Natalia? I better go to the Website,
0: website of the week.
1: week. It is time for Website of the Week. Uh, but before before I, I, I get into that, I do just want to say very quickly, because we have a positively ridiculous Website of the Week uh, that will have much, uh, much laughter. <laughs> um, it, it is... Uh, it, you know, I just want to say thank you again to the emailer and I, and I am really honored to have been a part of uh, part of your, your path and decision. And I'm glad Sovereign Tech was a part of that. Uh, that really, and everyone that's ever been involved with Sovereign Tech, you've certainly helped out with that too. So th- thank you again. Now let's get unserious. Um, what I want you to check out for website of the week is the RRC. What is the RRC? Well, you're going to have to go to Reptoids.com to see the RRC. And this is the Reptoids Research Center. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is um this is the website, of course, more kind of a blog to some degree, uh, by crypto hunter John Rhodes. I don't I don't know what a crypto hunter is. Uh and <laughs> this is all about. Lizard Jews, uh, no, <laughs> or at least part of the idea um, of, of where lizard Jews come from, and what the Reptoids Research Center. Now, of course, I don't subscribe to much of anything that uh, that is said on on this website, uh, and I tried to look for my picture here, if I was in the uh, Who Is a Reptoid segment, but uh, I didn't see me, and. <laughs> Uh, Of course, there is the belief. A lot of people believe that we are actually the humanity are not a lot, uh, but there is a percentage of people that believe that there are more than just humans as far as intelligent species on the earth that we actually co-evolved or perhaps didn't co-evolved, but uh, evolved alongside of perhaps a dinosaur species like the Trudon that developed a a very a real degree of um, of, you know, complex life of of not sentience, but uh, of intelligence, of actual intelligence. And uh, that these people are like now they're bipedal reptilians that walk around. And uh, a lot of people think that they're actually the ones pulling all the strings that they live underneath the earth. There's some incredible stories about this, too. Uh, I, I mean, there's Uh, in fact, actually where I found out, I had no idea that this website even existed, which is ironic because I've done research into the whole lizard Jew thing as I've been uh, accused of being one. Um, but it was on ancient aliens, which somehow has a season seven. You've, you've got me (laughs) how that happened as much as I have, uh, have enjoyed the show. Uh, and, and everybody knows how I feel about aliens. Um, uh, they they talked about it and they talked about how in, in, I believe, San Francisco, just outside of the city in the early 20th century, that it was very much believed that there was a reptilian city that existed beneath the earth. And that guy and that a, a, a gentleman actually got funding from the state, from the city anyway, that, you know, yeah, we got to find these cities. We got to do something about these reptoids. I, hey, <laughs> some of this stuff. You can just make up. <laughs> uh, and so the Reptoids Research Center is all about that. Um, you know, and I can say honestly, and I, I don't mean this to be as a detractor to the Free State Project, um, but I have met people in the Free State Project that believe this. Uh, that, that believe that, that there's reptilians. I mean, and there, there's a lot of people in the liberty, liberty movement. Um, I don't know if you'd call David Icke necessarily part of the liberty movement of course he's against the federal reserve so maybe that puts him in there but this is not an unpopular notion at all and so if you're looking for an introduction to this uh you know you you can check out the reptoids research center at reptoids.com in fact i gotta wonder i that might become the most priceless url uh, in history, I mean, we talked earlier in the beginning of the show about how McDonald's.com wasn't taken for years. Man, John Hunter's got this one, co- or John Rhodes has this one cornered. I mean, this could be—you know—when the Reptoids finally do reveal themselves and take over, this is going to be the website. You know, that people need to go to, not not by John Rhodes, but like for their—you know—instead of WhiteHouse.gov, oh maybe you know that's what it is. It'll be Reptoids.gov. So that that's how that's how John Rhodes got this website i was wondering i was like how did the lizards let him get this it's like i mean this is their identity online but it's because they, they already have reptoids.gov and uh if you want to have fun you can try and type that in and see what happens <laughs> but anyway uh i just i had to lighten it up so check out the reptoid research center uh lots of stuff to read there and and hey if you got thoughts on it email me sovereign at riseup.net. i'll be back with more
2: Over. No! Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then
0: we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born.
2: This is magic. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova.
0: Centauri have launched a full-scale assault.
1: Time is coming on! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall, where dreams are born and die where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5.
0: I don't know if I can get us away from that helicopter. Don't you have a gun?
1: Oh, there's never a need for lethal force. I'll handle this.
0: How did you do that? we will be fine. A quick hack
1: solves everything.
0: Hack-sec.
1: It is time for HackSec, where we talk hackers and security issues. And, of course, hackers are the real heroes of uh, of the world, in my opinion, or some of the real heroes. Of course, that emailer I also consider a hero for walking away. Um, seriously. And this uh, this week, you might have noticed that in the beginning, I, we talked about a lot of different security issues. There's one that you might have thought was, "Gee, why didn't Brian talk about that one?" This was a, this is a big deal. I mean, this this should be something that the libertine in chief should be all over. And that's because I saved it for hacksec. And this has to do with Gmail. Um, and you know, at some point, again, I, we'll we'll start talking about like hackers actually doing things because there's a lot lot going on right now. Um, But in any case, this is uh, this is a real serious security issue, a real serious privacy issue. Um, And I'm going to start reading from Business Insider, but then there's going to be another article that I'm going to go to. And again, from Business Insider, Google spotted explicit images of a child in a man's email and tipped off the authorities. A Houston man has been arrested after Google sent a tip to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children saying the man had ex- explicit images of a child in his email, according to Houston police. The man was a registered sex offender convicted convicted of sexually assaulting a child in 1994, reports uh, Tim Wetzel at KHOU Channel 11 News in Houston. He was keeping it inside of his email. I can't see that information. I can't see that photo. But Google can. Detective David Nettles of the Houston Metro of the police. <laughs> After Google reportedly tipped off the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the center alerted police who used the information to get a warrant. Um actually let me take that back. Detect yeah. No, okay, we got it. A search of the man's other's devices revealed more suspicious images and text messages. Police arrested him and he's being held on a two hundred thousand dollar bond. On one hand, most people would certainly applaud the use of technology to scan email in a case like this. On the other, debate rages about how much privacy users can expect when using Google services like email. In a word, none. A year ago, in a court brief, Google said as much. Then, in April, after a class action case against Google for email scanning uh, fell apart, Google updated its terms of services to warn people that it was automatically analyzing email emails. Now, of course, the reason they automatically or their stated reason, Google's stated reason for why they automatically analyze emails is because we need to serve you better ads. So we'll check your emails, you know, and it's not being looked at by a human. And this is key. It's not being looked at by a human. And, you know, and they just find like a keyword, like you need diapers or something, and then they'll just start to, you know, sending you huggies, uh, you know, ads or whatever. Um, but again, you know, they're they're telling you this is being done by an algorithm and not a human. Uh and, and let's keep in mind, real quick, let's keep in mind that any any email service that offers a spam folder is scanning your email. Okay. Considering uh, Google has been working to fight online, uh, online child sexual abuse since 2006, it stands to reason the company would scan emails looking for those sorts of images. Google hinted strongly at it about a year ago when Jacqueline Fuller, director of Google Giving, specifically mentioned the National Center's cyber tip line in a blog post. The cyber cyber tip line receives leads and tips regarding uh, suspected crimes. Fuller explained, in 2011, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's uh, Cyber Tip Line reviewed 17.3 million images and videos of suspected child sexual abuse. Since 2008, we've used hashing technology to tag known child sexual abuse images, allowing us to identify duplicate images which may exist elsewhere. That's key. We're in the business of making information widely available, but there's certain information that... Quote unquote, that should never be created or found. We can do a lot to ensure it's not available online and that when people try to share this disgusting content, this is her words, they are caught and prosecuted. Online service providers like Google are required under federal and many states' laws to report child pornography when they find it. Uh, attorney Chris J. Huffnagel, Director of Information Privacy Programs at Berkeley Center, blah, 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 tells Business Insider. However, they are under no obligation. To go out and look for it, Hoofnagle says. But if you, that's a terrible name, but if you look and you see it, you have to report. Google responded by telling us that it does, does indeed search for such images in Gmail. Here's the statement. Sadly, all internet companies have to deal with child sexual abuse. It's why Google actively removes illegal imagery from our services, including search and Gmail and immediately reports abuse to NCMEC." This evidence is regularly used to convict criminals. Each child sexual abuse image is given a unique digital fingerprint, which enables our systems to identify those pictures, including in Gmail. It is important to remember that we only use this technology to identify child sexual abuse imagery, not other email content that could be associated with criminal activity. For example, uh, using email to plot a burglary. Um, Google, let's see. Here's a direct quote, and this is from nine to five Google, um, that, that they talked about it. Uh, it's since 2008, we've used, um, hashing technology. So this has been going on since 2008, this ability, this is not new, uh, and allowing us to identify duplicate images, which may exist elsewhere. As far as child sexual abuse images, each offending image in effect gets a unique ID that our computers can recognize without humans having to view them again. Recently, we've started working to incorporate encrypted fingerprints of child sexual abuse images into a cross industry database. This will enable companies, law enforcement and charities to better collaborate on detecting and removing these images and to take action against the criminals. Now what's this cross industry database? There's something out there actually called data stacks which is a private company that does this very thing. And I wonder if that's who they're talking about. This is not something that the government created. This cross industry is not the NSA. This is something that companies want. Okay. And that's, that's one of them. I know it's data stacks that that does that sort of thing. I don't know if they're involved in this, but the bottom line is, is that the market has created things that has created those platforms. Okay. Now, There's so much to talk about here. So this is, you know, apparently humans aren't looking at this, but in actuality, you know, according to Google statements, but if it does get flagged to a certain level at a certain level, yes, humans do other human beings that work for Google do start looking at your email. Okay. And one of the key points before I get into that, I just want to make sure that that's clear. The second point that I want to make clear is that A lot of people were saying, look, give Google a pass because the government says, no, by law, you have to tell us. But Business Insider was really ingenious in pointing out and making sure it was pointed out that they do not have to go looking for it. There is no order on the books that says they have to hunt it down. So let's not so much give them a pass. next point that I want to make is obviously I am more than happy to have child pornographers brought to light okay i you know it is a terrible, terrible like it like i said disgusting thing, no question about it, okay, but it is very scary this ability and this fact and I find it, I can't help, I apologize, I can't help but find it odd that the first time that this case gets reported in the news, that this technology gets used, is in a child pornography case. It's the one thing that you can just always go to when you need to smear something or when you need to make something acceptable. It is the one. Because it is genuinely an atrocity. It is the greatest of atrocities, no doubt. Okay? But I do find that strange that somehow, you know, to justify this ability, they say, hey, yeah, Mm. it was a child pornographer. Aren't you happy we did this? Because then anybody that questions it gets accused of being, oh, are you okay with pedophilia? No. (laughs) Of course not. That's like saying, well, oh, so you don't want us to go over to Afghanistan. Then do you support people bombing towers or, you know, you know, dive bombing towers? No, I just don't. I don't you know, support more people dying. They love to twist this stuff. So now, of course, they say, yeah, we only use it in this case. Well, Google has a degree of legal immunity a degree of legal immunity to where they don't have to tell you if they do it in other ways, this digital fingerprinting, this hashing that they're doing, what stops that from being applied to other things? You can apply it to anything. You could have, uh, you know, 10 billion categories of how to file things. Why? I mean, really you are essentially with Gmail. And like I said, it's probably not just Gmail, but with Gmail, you are being your content. Is not just being used to serve you better ads. It is being used to profile you, to fit you into a box, to define you. And when the time is necessary, rightly or wrongly, to be used against you. I have never heard a stronger case for PGP in my life. We talked about it last week. It's important for people to get on board. There's a lot of nice, simple solutions that exist out there now. Okay, you have, uh, uh, you have ProtonMail.ch. You've got WhiteOut.io. There's a great video that's actually uh, deliciously voiced by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on how to set a PGP with Thunderbird. Okay, there are a lot of very easy options. And I tell you, I've been using that whiteout, WhiteOut.io even on Android and it works slick as shit. It is great. Get on this email is clearly whether you wanted it to be or not is becoming the most personal of mediums in your life and you need to protect it. If you care about your privacy, PGP, everything because you never know when honestly, I don't, I'm not saying it happened in this case. They could make this shit up. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Hey, everybody. I really appreciate all of you that listen to Sovereign Tech. I hope you have as much fun listening to the show as I do making it. And hey, if you have a good time listening or learn something from listening, you can donate to the show. Just look in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. There you'll see uh, addresses for Bitcoin, BlackCoin, Next, Litecoin, whole slew of ways to donate to the show. And believe me, I'm not going to complain if you only send two millibits or what equates to two dollars unlike some people but but, you know also you can donate via paypal using the affiliate links on the left hand side of sovereigntech.com. and oh yes please feel free to use those affiliate links you can also help the show by circling me on google plus following me on twitter or following sovereign tech on soundcloud anything you can do to help believe me it helps so i love all of you and thank you so much for listening now let's get back to more sovereign tech Well, looks like we made it out of the country. Good driving. Let's find some place to relax.
0: Somewhere with a nice big bed, I think. Let me pull up an app.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Software of the Week. It is
1: time for Software of the Week, where we cover software, sometimes useful, sometimes terrible, sometimes just for kicks, whatever. Whatever. We cover some software. And um, this week, I I can't believe I'm really I'm kicking myself over this one a bit uh, mentally because <laughs> I can't believe I, I forgot about this. Uh, oh, quite a few weeks, I guess months, maybe even back, I mentioned, look, the gold standard of PDF. In fact, in what, like one of the very first few episodes, I said the best PDF viewer for you to use on the planet is Foxit. F-O-X-I-T. And then a couple months back, I said, don't use Foxit anymore. It has security holes, and now they're loading it with bloatware. It's a, it's just a really, really bad state of affairs. Stay so far away from Foxit. Uh, and of course, you know, using anything by Adobe is a risk all in and to itself. That's why I was recommending using Foxit, uh, partly because of its speed as well. And so at the time, I know I had said... That And I don't know a really great alternative other than using, you know, the, the Chrome web browser as a PDF reader or even Firefox has that ability now, too. But all along, there's been a great PDF reader that I've actually used for a really long time. And I, I, it just it completely slipped my mind. But now I get to recommend it to you. So and the reason I used it, I, I, talked, I used to talk about it all the time and you can still use this. If, you, if you've never heard of this, I've got a lot of new listeners, as always, if you haven't heard of this. Uh, PortableApps.com. You can use this. And what this does is it, it creates a software suite on a flash drive, or it can even be on your main drive too. Uh, and it creates portable installations, meaning that they can move from computer to computer as you wish. Okay. Uh, and of course, you know, if you want to get into bad USB about that, that, Hey, I understand. Um, and it allows you to, to carry, you know, all of your settings and apps with you. It's really nice. And one of the ones that has always been offered for that is a PDF reader, that's really slick, really minimalist, really fast. Uh doesn't again doesn't have a whole lot of features, but it, it's great. And that's Sumatra PDF. Okay. Uh <laughs> and I I totally recommend checking this out. I mean, it's really simple, really basic, it's open source, it's only for uh for Windows. As far as I know right now, unless someone you could probably port it since it's portable, you could probably port it with wine into, uh, you know, into Linux. But then in Linux, there's a whole other slew of of great readers available for that. But for Windows, this is the one this is, you know, and I totally understand people still need to use Windows machines. I still use Windows machines. Uh, I'm the game I'm, I'm developing. I have to develop it on Windows. So, you know, I'm, I am using a Windows machine for that. Um, so Sumatra PDF, and this is great because it does a whole lot more than just PDF. It also, you can read EPUBs with it, Mobi files, the CHM files. It's like those help files, right? Uh, XPS, which that's great. That way you don't have to use Microsoft's built-in XPS reader. Uh, uh, Deja Vu, which that's another great one because you don't have to install the Deja Vu plugin. Uh, it also reads the, the comic book format, CBZ and CBR. So th- this is, you know, as far as compatibility, it's there. And again, totally open source. Okay. So it's not, you know, Foxit was pretty good about being like that in the past, but just now this is happening with so much Windows software. Like there's a great pa- unpackaging tool that I loved uh, called Extract Now. And Extract Now does the same thing as Foxit, where now when you download it, it asks you to, at least at some points, it asks you, but it doesn't always ask you, to install other pieces of software. And it's just this all this package, and you just end up with so much bloat. Half of it's probably some kind of malware, and it's a mess. This is what happened with Foxit. It happened with Extract Now. But a nice, simple solution that you could even take portably with you is Sumatra PDF. Uh, and it works really well. Uh, Again, I mean, not it doesn't have, you know, a whole bunch of merging abilities and all that other business that Foxit started to include. And it doesn't have the tabbing ability that I thought was really nice with um, that Fox had where, where you could use it almost like a web browser with PDFs where, where they were tabbed. Uh, but it's just it's basic and it works. And with PDFs especially, it, I mean, now most computers are pretty fast to where they can handle a lot of high res uh, uh, images anyway. Uh, but if, say, you're working on an, a slightly older machine. This is the one this this will just moves goes through PDFs so fast uh, and PDFs haven't gone away. Amazingly, this is really one of those formats that has stood the test of time, especially when more efficient formats have come in, have come its way. You know, like uh, EPUB and Mobi for what it uses. But that's the thing is that PDF is just so flexible. Uh, and I mean, I, I like it. You know, in fact, I wish speaking of the comic books, it's very difficult to find great comic book reader software on other platforms other than Windows. Okay, but so I wish a lot of people and some do, but I wish they'd release comic books in PDF format because PDF works on everything. I mean, really, it really does. Uh, And especially when you have a great reader like Sumatra, you're in great shape. Um, Some, you know, some people only look for PDFs. Some people use Calibre to turn everything into PDFs. Uh, Not that you even need to really do that with this, because Sumatra can read all those other formats, too, which is really nice. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. It's a goo.goal. Okay. Cause this is really long. This is just developed by like one guy and he just does great work. So grab Sumatra. Uh, definitely the one I recommend. It, it, it's great and open source. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-Liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Oh, Natalia.
0: Oh, Oh, it feels so good. I'm so close.
1: I know what you need.
0: The Climax.
1: It is time for The Climax, where I talk about whatever I want to talk about. Often it's a a topic, um, or it could be a movie, TV show, uh, could be, you know, all all kinds of of various things. You you sort of, you you take your pick. Um, And this week... I actually, I want to talk about, uh, well, b- you know, before I get into this week's topic, um, I want to discuss with you Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> this was a great movie. I loved it. It was so good. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, it's not my pick of the week, but I just wanted to get it out there. that I thought Guardians of the Galaxy was fantastic. Probably the best Marvel movie ever made. Seriously. I, I, th- I think it takes Iron Man. Um, and to see the Nova core in action, and I'm not giving anything away really by that, you know, the Nova Corps is in it, uh, is, was really cause Nova, you know, was in the nineties was the man, you know, he was really cool. And so, uh, yeah, to see the Nova core doing, I wish there was more of it, but it was a fantastic film. I, I couldn't recommend it more. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, uh, the song by Blue Suede, Hooked on a Feeling, is now like this huge song on the charts. It, that actually kind of made me mad because I was like, well, if it wasn't in Guard- the Guardian of the Galaxy, what? Nobody would have thought it was a good song? It's a great song. Oh, I see. People being told to like what they are being, you know, people are being told what to like instead of them deciding for themselves. Got it. <laughs> anyway. Um, what I want to talk about today is I want to, I mentioned last week that at some point I need to talk about environmentalism. And I think I'm going to do an episode where that is a, a very much a, a concentrated effort to talk about. And uh, and I, I know some great, uh, great people that have a lot of experience. Uh, one person in particular I know who ha- he has a lot of great experience. He's a good friend that I would like to have on the show to, to talk about it. So but for now, I'm, I'm giving you a an introduction. To. To my thoughts on environmentalism, okay, because this is such a hot topic and we're obviously we're not going to cover it all. That's why it needs to be done elsewhere. But it is such a hot topic uh, in liberty circles because it sounds like and I don't think this is necessarily unfair, especially with more conservative types, that it's like, well, you know, fuck it. Fuck the environment. You know, we need to bend things to humanity's will. Right. Uh, That's that's kind of one of one of the. That's a pretty old teaching, actually. <laughs> um, and you, you take something like Ayn Rand. We talked about objectivism earlier in the show. And objectivism is all about bending nature. You know, big O, objectivism, OK, is all about bending nature to the will of man. And so what I want to discuss with you isn't so much, you know, the, the overarching as- abstract of environmentalism. But what, what I want to talk to you about is the idea of biodiversity, And it's not just an idea. It's a fact, you know, that by in what biodiversity is in a nutshell, we can crack up the you know, I usually don't work without notes, but we'll crack open the handy dandy uh, Wikipedia here. And biodiversity is the degree of variation of life. This can refer to genetic variation, species variation or ecosystem variation within an area, biome or planet. Uh, And so that's. And the one for the ecosystem is really mainly more what I'm discussing here. Biodiversity, I think, is a really interesting uh, subject. I think when you take the idea of biodiversity and that it is a necessity, that it is a healthy thing to have biodiversity, I think you end up, when you start to apply that to other areas of, uh, of ideologies, I think you end up with some pretty interesting thoughts. Uh, this is something I mentioned earlier. I mention them all the time, but made safe how they said they look to nature to figure out how things work. And I think that's a good idea, you know, to, to look to nature, to, to try and mimic that. That's what Leonardo da Vinci did. Right. Remember Leonardo da Vinci's flying machine? Um, he, you know, unfortunately, he kind of based it off of a bat when in actuality he should have been basing it off of a hawk. And so you can find these ideas in nature. Now, biodiversity within nature shows a strengthening. Uh, it shows a, a redundancy. It shows a healthiness in nature for all life, for, for pretty much all life involved. Uh, biodiversity, particularly with with plant life, uh, especially. And biodiversity is a thing. Now, again, this is just a variety of meaning, a variety of life. OK, uh, it's one of the things I think that bi- I think biodiversity pushes evolution forward. OK, because you, you constantly have to sort of adapt to what's going on around you and to the varying things around you. Um, biodiversity is something that had been has been continues to be extremely endangered. By farming, by agriculture, I am not against agriculture, I think. Uh, in fact, this is where permaculture comes from, which I'm a huge fan of permaculture or horticulture, I think is another one too. Uh, permaculture is where is the idea that you have to pay attention when you are farming, when you are doing agriculture, you have to pay attention to the area that the, the biodiversity within which you are farming. And so permaculture, maybe I shouldn't use those terms, but, but permaculture is saying, pay attention to that and you will have a more healthy yield. You will have, you know, you Everything, you know, just everything will be better. You'll have a better experience, a more healthy experience. And I'm a huge fan of that. I I love it. Okay. So please, you know, don't listen. If you're a farmer, I think I might even, I think I might know some listeners who are farmers. I'm not insulting you here. Okay. We're, We're just talking about being aware of these things. And so most scientists, you know, readily admit, and, and, and unfortunately they take it to the, or not unfortunately, but they take it to the conclusions of uh, this is why we have to worry about global warming because it's going to eliminate biodiversity. This is why we need to worry about, you know, all kinds of varying things because it does eliminate biodiversity. I think that that is a very valid argument to, to say that we do need to pay attention to that. Now, why do we need to pay attention to biodiversity? Well, let's take, for example, let's say you brought over... This is something that has happened often. It happened to Darwin when they brought over the brown snake on a boat and it landed on an island. And suddenly that brown snake ate tons of species that uh, or at least quite a few species, some of which are now extinct because an element was introduced that was never meant to be there. This happens with plants. There are a variety of types of plants that have come over from Europe to North America and now are wiping out huge swaths of uh, of various other plant life that are now extinct or that are becoming extinct. And the issue becomes where it becomes very serious, and I'm giving you a very basic rundown. I understand that. But this is what I want to get you thinking about. The issue becomes very quickly that if you are, say, a society based on something like, oh, corn, If corn is grown the same way and has to deal within the same, you know, uh, biosphere, the same, uh, um, you know, ecological area everywhere that it goes, as in like the same corn that's grown in Iowa is grown over here, grown here, grown here. You know, everybody eats the same kind of corn, whatever that happens to be. All it takes is one virus or one invasive species to come in and wipe out your entire society and to make you hungry. How does that, you know, and, and then take that idea. Let's apply it elsewhere with biodiversity. What if, let's say there was a, a plant and please, we're just we're, we're being very generalizing and just going all over the place. OK, what if there was a plant that could cure cancer? What if there was a flower, perhaps, or, or something, you know, some kind of some kind of plant life that had the key to curing uh, various forms of cancer? And because of the spreading of invasive species due to the lack of biodiversity, which comes from agriculture and perhaps maybe civilization, um, just wiped out that ability. And now millions of people die because of it. Of course, the easy answer that a lot of people will come to is say, yes, but without civilization, without all without agriculture, you know, billions of people would be dead anyway. So who the hell cares? Yeah, it becomes, you know, a back and forth game. No doubt about it. Okay. This this idea. But I want you to really research biodiversity and really consider it and just how important it is. Uh, In fact, the act of sex. If you take uh, into into consideration something that I believe the Red Queen theory is a case of biodiversity, that is the very reason that we reproduce so many things are key to this very idea that there is as much life and life is allowed to grow and go through its natural processes as much as possible not to be bent into the will of something else but to be you know formed around it. Not a new idea on my part, I'm not giving I'm not telling you anything necessarily original, but I think I think biodiversity is the real key to, because a lot of people will say, well, look, if we don't have governments, no one's going to take care of the environment and the libertarians or the anarchists or whoever else, of course, there's green anarchists that obviously wouldn't do this, uh, would just, you know, screw up everything, wipe, you know, and, and destroy the planet, blah, 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 and all of that. Uh, now, I, I don't think that would happen, but I, I think there's a lot of people that really wouldn't care. I think that's entirely true. And they don't consider the, the you know, there's this idea in liberty called the seen and the unseen. The seen and the unseen consequences. Well, let me present to you perhaps the unseen consequences of eliminating biodiversity that you just never knew. It's something to consider. It's something to take a good, hard look at, in my opinion. And so, my thoughts on environmentalism are, you know, in short, that yes, we need to promote. Biodiversity, and we need to pr- protect biodiversity for our own health, for our own longevity for our own survival as a species. You can only act within self-interest, and believe me, environmentalism is within my self-interest, but most people don't recognize this relationship that everything seems to have with each other. Now, not a spiritual relationship, but a very real, you know, the bees spreading pollen, all the good stuff, the importance of bees, everybody always talks about that. All these things, they're real, they're legit, they're genuine concerns, and the answer to them is to promote, in my opinion, the answer is to promote biodiversity. It needs to be discussed. And look, all All that environmentalist legislation and ideas, I don't often hear people talk about that because it's a genuine concern. And also, you know, we talk about decentralization all the time on Sovereign Tech. Biodiversity at its very core is decentralized. It is saying, yes, have as many of these systems as you possibly can. Have all the redundancies in the world, all that. So I think it's really important to consider this, to consider the unseen consequences of what gets done. I don't want to pull on you some emotional thing you know, where, where uh, you know, a, a Native American guy, and please, I'm I, you know fan of Native Americans, a Native American guy cries into a river that's been all junked up. Uh, that's not what I'm telling you here. What I'm saying to you is that there are systems that have evolved for millions of years that should not be fucked with if we wish to continue on healthily into the future. And please, technology is only going to go so far. And if technology is only being advanced as it is right now, by and large, by governments, Then who's going to be able to take advantage of a lot of that technology? Maybe we'll just be able to skirt them completely. You know, the governments and these control structures, then that'd be great. But in a lot of ways, all that stuff is just going to be given. It's just like Obamacare. The the politicians are exempt. So consider biodiversity. Look into it. We'll talk about more about environmentalism in the future. But I wanted to get that out to you that I think it is incredibly important to be stewards of a planet, of your habitat, so that you are healthy. You can tell me I'm crazy. You can email me, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. Anyway, carpe lukem. I'll see you on the other side.
0: You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-E-R-Y-N-T-E-C-H dot com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution.